Hello and welcome to the Hippocampus podcast, a place where we discuss the strategies that help optimise learning. So join us for some grassroots conversations where we share some practical tips and insights that might just make your learning journey a little easier. episode we discuss OSCEs and we are joined by the fantastic Dr. Arun Kirupakar. We talk about the basic format of OSCEs and gain fantastic advice from Aaron on the way to approach individual stations. Aaron is an ST2 ophthalmology trainee and a graduate from Cambridge who over the years has heavily invested in supporting students through their medical school journey right from personal statements, interviews and admission tests to our topic of discussion today, OSCEs. He ranked first in his Cambridge finals finals for OSCEs, so we are absolutely honoured to have him join us and really look forward to gaining some advice from him on mastering the exams. So let's join hosts me, Nikita and Gaia, who are third year medical students in conversation with Aaron. So hello and welcome back. Hi Gaia, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm glad that when no, it's not even in the middle of the week <laughs> I'm ready I'm ready for Easter holidays that's what Same. I'm excited about but yeah I'm just eyeing I'm those good two otherwise. weeks I'm eyeing those two yeah, weeks again <laughs> I'm counting down counting down Same. yeah Same. I've been good um so very excited about this episode our topic for today is OSCEs uh, and we have a fantastic guest joining us Aaron and we'd like to thank him for joining us today so first off Aaron how are you how are you doing uh, I'm great thanks for having me guys um I've never really done a podcast um, ever. I've listened to a lot of them. So let's see how it goes. Hopefully kind of useful, kind of fun. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be great. Uh, I think it'll be an amazing conversation. Very useful to a lot of students as well. Um, So first off, uh, if you want to tell us a bit more about yourself, we've obviously already given an introduction to you, but anything about your journey in med school and up till now and and also how you've kind of built up this, this, you know, YouTube channel and, you know, to create content to help students. So just tell us uh, a bit about yourself. Uh, okay, fine. So, yeah, I went to Cambridge Med School um, and I graduated, started in 2011, graduated, did my six years there, um, graduated in 2017, and then did my F1, F2 in Northeast London. And uh, now I'm kind of working in ophthalmology in kind of that North London deanery. So, yeah, so yeah. I basically kind of um, fell into this thing of OSCEs because um, basically me and my best mate Serena at uni always work together from so the way Cambridge works is you do a very pre-clinical then a clinical kind of course so the first two years were literally I probably saw about three patients in the whole oh, wow. two years yeah literally about three patients in two years which is normal for some med schools and then completely the opposite so we were literally doing natural sciences and we were doing like three four essays a week three four lectures a day uh lots of small groups with vision lots of practicals then we do like our BSc which we call it a BA but it's the same kind of thing and we still didn't see any patients then. And then finally, we were kind of let loose in fourth year. We're like, okay, so we've taught you all this anatomy, biochemistry, physiology, and whatever. Now just basically go in the wards. And literally, they were like, okay, there's some teaching sessions, but you don't yeah. have to come. Literally, you don't have to come. Like, because if you see something really cool on the ward or in theatre or in clinic, we don't want to take away that opportunity from you because we've already done that for two years. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So they were like, and it kind of gave a lot of, a lot of us freedom. And we got to the point where we're students at the end of the day, like we were 21, 22. So we were like, oh my God, like exams are coming up really soon. And I've 
done like three, four cardiovascular exams in like the whole year. So then we had to basically prep for our OSCEs in quite a short period of time. And it wasn't like written where we were getting, we were used to like having to do essays every week and getting tested really regularly. So we had to work out this quick way of doing kind of OSCE prep. And we played around this thing. And basically, if anyone's kind of listening, the two things that I want to absolutely highlight in this entire podcast is something called the retrospective approach, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. And then this eight step approach history taking. Those are the only two things I use to our OSCEs after I've worked out how like valuable they are. Sometimes you get study technique, which is good for exams, but not good for becoming a doctor. Mm. I don't even think it really falls into that category. I think both of them also make you good clinicians, but also make your revision so much more like orientated and like exam orientated. So I think we'll kick things off with asking you, Aaron, about your general top tips about, you know, OSCEs, you know, the key pieces of, of advice that you want to, to give students. So I'd say for OSCEs, like you can basically divide them into three kind of stations. OSCEs are basically a circuit of stations where you go in, you do one station and you move on, you move on. The way kind of I think most medical schools or kind of PA schools or other kind of medical oriented schools do it is they have your clinical examination stations, things like your cardiovascular exam, thyroid exam, respiratory exam. You have the history taking, which is take a history from a patient, get their story, etc. And then you have um, kind of uh, clinical skills, so things like cannulation, urine dipstick and that kind of stuff. So I think whatever your medical school or whatever, what year you're in, really find out what you're being tested on because everyone tests things differently. That is the most important thing. You don't want to kind of, and not, not only what you're tested on, but how you're marked. So for example, for us in fourth year, which is our kind of first year of kind of clinical school training, we were really heavily tested on, can you just do the routine? Like, can you do the routine inside out? And there was a little bit on, can you pick up some signs? But the main thing was just do the basics, which is learn the routine. So something like that, like, it's so much easier just to practice that over and over and over again yeah. on your mates rather yeah. than go into a hospital or a ward straight away and subject like an 80 year old gentleman who's like breathless needing <laughs> oxygen to do a respiratory exam by you and your mate and then time yourself and be like oh my god like we're going too slow let's do it again <laughs> so find out how you're going to be tested and prepare like that I think it's the same with any exam so like if you're being tested on essays, you should do more essays to get better essays in the exam. If you're being tested on the routine, do loads of routines. If you're being tested on more, on like cannulation, do cannulation on the actual model that you're going to be tested on. Probably the second kind of thing I'd say is um, this applies to anything, but especially OSCEs. Work with your mates because like the workload is literally, it's not hard, mm. but it's like, it's quite a lot. You might be able to test on like 10 different examinations, cardiovascular, respiratory, abdominal, knee exam thyroid exam especially when you come to finals yeah. if anyone's got sitting finals good luck um but basically like you can be tested on like potentially 15 different examination stations and if you get four of you and you say look you just go bash out cardio rest abdo neuro because you love that you love ortho so you do knee ankle shoulder because you're really good at that then we can just use all our routines together that will cut your time by absolutely like a quarter or whatever so work with your mates. But then, okay, that's one of some of the things that we can do right. Like we can prepare in that specific way. But from your experience as a medical student, and I don't know if you, have you like been an examiner for OSCEs ever, like in your time or not yet? Or is that when like I was an F- When I was in F1, I examined like BART students. So okay. um, they were like fourth years. So then when you were examining them, like just take yourself back to that what what were kind of the biggest mistakes that medical students were making like consistently like 
in in one go could you could you kind of do you remember i'd say um okay so in an exam scenario mm-hmm. and you can say this to someone a million times but until they go through it they're not going to fully understand it because i was the same try your best to forget about the last station it's so easy to be like oh my god i messed that one up like i fully messed that one up and think okay calm down calm down calm down but like everyone every single person like has bad stations multiple stations i'm saying that right now like mm-hmm. um there's this big thing oh you came first in your oskis i had bad stations even when i came first in my oskis i fully admit that okay yeah. everyone has it it's completely normal um so try your best to tell yourself look it's fine what i thought was a bad station is completely normal like just cuz you're like oskis are never something that you go into the exam and do anyway near as good as what you were practicing the week up to your exam yeah. if you know that then you'll fully accept like okay a couple of bad stations is fine but it's when you have one bad station because you're like oh my god i did like a slick cardio exam every single time for like the last two weeks and now i've just forgotten this step that's just yeah. normal that's completely normal like under pressure different scenario patient being a bit funny examiner staring at you writing out down notes it, it's this pressure um it's not like a written exam you can think about actually I'm going to eliminate b i think it's more likely between c and d it's a completely different scenario so don't try not to get flustered mm. and use that like 30 seconds or whatever one minute to really be like okay that's fine that is a complete write off i don't care i'm expecting to have at least five of those i've got mm. one down probably the next four are coming if you can kind of get into that mindset you will do so much better overall and you'll feel better you won't be less stressed so the other thing that i think lots of students make a mistake on um is not necessarily like being in the station and being in that mindset but also how they revise for their oskis if you want to say go over your cardiovascular station because that's what you've just gone over in your lectures or your notes or whatever then really have an aim before you go into like your hospital placement that day that i want to do that rather than just go on and be like oh anything interesting the cases that come up in your kind of stations are very very similar year on year across the country so like mm-hmm. if we were thinking cardiovascular what would be the common cases that could come up in your cardio exam station if you had like to pick aortic, one or two like a, like all the murmurs aortic regurgitation stenosis yeah aortic stenosis mitral regurgitation those kind of murmurs yeah. what kind of scars come up in a cardio exam cabbage yeah so if you go and literally say to your f1 f2 the sister on the ward do you have any patients with these four signs because that's what i'm really interested in then that's what you should do in your 2 hour space rather than go and examine a really interesting rare cardiomyopathy which you can do not when you're revising for your exams and you've got like 2 months left so go with mm-hmm. a plan go and listen to four different types of people who all have aortic stenosis because they're all slightly different but they all have the general kind of like like vibe they have a general kind of sound so sound. exactly yeah <laughs> so go to four different people or like or like a mitral regurgitation with a pansolic murmur which is so easy to say pansolic murmur but until you hear like loads of them you're going to forget and and you don't have to do the full cardio routine you can practice that at home so i think That's really true. target your revision like target that, your yeah. revision because um you can get so much more done yeah 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 absolutely i think um especially for people who are in preclinical years at the moment who are going into clinical years that would be a really good piece of advice no the other thing is like just remember your patients in your exams have been in exams for 10 years so they know the cardio exam better than you so for example <laughs> the patient on the ward doesn't know what kind of put your hands together because i want to check if you have clubbing yeah whereas the patient in the exam will be like yeah i know what you're talking about because they they want to help you out they've been there they've seen people 
seeing people like go completely blank. So they are there to help you out. Whereas so are your friends because they know what's coming next. The patients on the ward are very, very confused because they're like, what is this weird thing that you're checking my nails for that no other doctor has done because no one really checks for clubbing. So just remember that, like, if you're not doing it an eight minute station on the ward, it's because your patient's not as cooperative as your real patient in your exam. Yeah, I agree. Once I, I tried taking a history from a really lovely woman on um, the cardio ward, I was there for like half an hour. She was so lovely. And I remember so much from the conversation and about her condition. So I associate my uh, heart failure with her. But like I said, it wasn't really efficient because I spent half an hour. But then, you know, sometimes yeah, you have, have a balance. Yeah. yeah, exactly. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I just actually had more of a sort of personal question, Aaron. I, I want to take you back to when you had your OSCEs. And I just want you to tell us a bit about the experience that, you know, that it was at that time when you yeah. were going through it. Okay, cool. So basically, we had, you know, this is our fourth year. So our first kind of OSCEs in med school, but this is our fourth year of medical school, which is kind of crazy that you only have two years after before you become a doctor. But anyway, <laughs> so then um, you basically go into a room with like, usually they're groups of like, the stations are like, the way we did it, it was like 10 stations, but there'll be two circuits running. So you'll be in one circuit with nine other people running at the same time and the same thing. You kind of go in your room, get your badge, whatever, have the little debrief and say, okay, so these are the stations. You have eight minutes for these stations. You'll hear a buzzer going off at 30 seconds. You have a warning. Uh, you're starting on one, you're starting on two, you're starting on three. And there's usually like a rest station. So you'll do like three stations. Say I started on station one, because I was always a my name so they always put right at the start of the alphabet <laughs> station one was usually pretty good because then like station five and station 10 were usually rest stations you don't start on a rest station because oh, you're like yeah, kind funny. of kind of unfair but anyway so then you'd have one or two rest stations and that is your time to really just like forget what's happened even if you've done really really well get out of that mindset because you can just be like okay so done that whatever so next station next station and basically you do your you'll say outside the station like okay you're here to see mr smith please perform a cardiovascular examination on this patient. And I think as soon as you go in, you'll probably kind of take that 10 seconds to just orientate yourself. So here's the patient, he's on the couch, whatever, is a couch the right angle, 45 degrees, things like that. Um, you'll see an examiner who'll probably just let you carry on. Most of the time they know that it's already quite tight for time. And then just try and like go into it and just start rather than like fiddling too much and just be like, okay, so what was the start again? Okay, hi there. I'm Aaron Curie, I'm one of the medical students. It's okay, perform a cardiovascular exam. And it, just, it should be on autopilot by then, hopefully. And then, yeah, it goes really, really quick, honestly, which is why I'm saying that like one bad station can really get into your head. And that's the only thing that is kind of scary because you can be really prepared. But if you have an initial bad station, you, you don't think straight because you're like, oh my God, like, I can do that exam. And I think the one thing I'd say also is try make sure you finish your station. Even if you don't, have that in the back of your mind. So like, it's really easy to think, oh my God, I didn't finish my station. That's like 10 marks. How do you deal with your time management within the exam? So let's take it to like history taking. Okay. What, like, what do you do to ensure that you are kind of swiftly moving through? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Because while I say it's really important to be aware of time, you don't want to yeah. be so aware of time that you're like, you come across as rushed. So mm. you've just got to have a really good way of being like, okay, so I know this person has given me some really crucial really delicate information and I need to show them I'm doing all my pausing I'm giving them lots of time I'm doing all my ice but then when it's an appropriate time you literally have to be like mm -hmm. and then say okay is it okay if I ask some background questions now I'm going to ask a few questions the way I like to do is say I'm going to ask a few questions in a row is that okay so okay. the patient knows that I'm going to be like 
Okay, I'm gonna ask a few questions right now. Like, so just give me yeah, some like saying like kind of um, it's like protocol. Like, this is what we usually ask a lot of our patients. Is that okay? That's what I usually say. Nikita, do you say something like that? I don't know if you do. Yeah, and it kind of reminded me also when we do the more sensitive questions. Just you kind of lead them into it. You give them a bit of a warning sign. So it's kind of going along those lines, isn't it? That you're giving a bit of a warning instead of just going straight into it and throwing them off. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say is I remember in my first year, my my fourth year Oskis, there was one or two sessions that I didn't even get close to finishing. Um, like like you said, I literally didn't get onto any of the background history. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, like I was literally like, like look at the mark scheme, the way they've said it. You got these many marks for this, this many marks for this, et cetera. And mm. those were conversations that I did my best in. And mm. whether that was a pure fluke or whether that was like the examiner honestly being like, look, sometimes you can't kind of like yeah. just get through things. And they're very genuine. They're not going to fail you because yeah. you took your time when it was an appropriate thing to do. Sometimes you'll feel like, oh, I think I definitely dragged that on. But you'd rather always be take a bit too much time than take too little time and feel like that that was kind of rushed. And if yeah, I, was rushed, I, I agree, actually, because it's almost like if some if the patient had said something that's relevant to them, like, you know, I if they said that, oh, I'm, I'm feeling quite low at home. But if you don't say, if you don't address their mental health issues and just move on to the physical symptoms of maybe yeah. shortness of breath, the priority kind of changes doesn't it so I think in that case I can kind of imagine why they gave yeah, you a good like, mark yeah I came out and my mate was like oh yeah yeah like I finished that with that two minutes left I was like what am I doing but then <laughs> and then there, I think just because you finish doesn't mean you get all the ice like yeah. the patient might have the fact that their son's really unwell yeah. and they've only opened that up to you because the fact that you have really taken your time at the start when they wanted you to take your time rather than be like okay so just yeah Socrates now okay so where is the pain etc 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 so yeah you've got to yeah. kind of be wary that even if you don't finish even if you think you've had a really bad station you probably haven't so don't mm. let it affect other stations mm. or try not to yeah that makes sense I think it's, it's kind of a tricky balance isn't it you know the whole timekeeping element versus obviously trying to address all the points um but I guess with time you kind of hone that isn't it the more you practice the more you get to grips with that um yeah. okay so in terms of I had a personal sort of question uh, Aaron about something that I struggle with in Oski's like history taking uh I usually find that you know you, you take the whole history and, and then when they ask you about differentials on the spot it's something that I just struggle to come up with just because I'm processing the whole history and, and I'm not really consolidated what they've told me. What's your kind of tip on the thought process that a student should have? Um, this is like a super common problem that every single medical student goes through. I can promise you that. Um, that's the first thing. So this is the kind of leading into this whole retrospective approach. So I think it's nice for me to talk about this. This is just a fancy word that someone asked me once. Is there a name for this? And that was the first thing that came to my head. So I'm just going with that. Um, there's nothing official about it. But basically... The way medical school, I think, is taught a lot of the way, whether it's your examination or your history, is learn how to take a history or let's just talk about cardiovascular history or cardiovascular exam. So learn the examination routine. A doctor or whatever uh, final year will teach you guys as like first, second years. These are the steps of a cardiovascular exam. And this is how you take a cardiovascular history. And then you'll go home and you go to Geeky Medics or you go to Med or whatever and say, OK, I forgot those bits. So let me just fill in my gaps. And then you'll practice on your friends and then you practice a cardio history on your friends. Then you go to the ward and take history from a cardio patient or you do an examination. Mm. And then you talk a bit about vivas or you talk about your differentials or some of the questions you might get asked, which we call a viva, where the examiner can ask you questions. So the first one is usually what is your top differential or what are your differentials? So the way I think of that, it's very prospective. So like you're studying in the order that the exam comes. 
which seems to make sense. That's what you would normally do. You wouldn't normally do things any other way. But I think if you do things backwards, it makes so much of a difference. So what do I mean by the retrospective approach? So like I said at the start, what the common cases were, and you can name me three or four common cases. They don't have to be the exact cases that always come up, but you can just ask the years above that. What kind of stuff did you get? What did you prep for? Mm. You literally, the way I would do it is cardio history, you told me, right? I think of with two of your mates, sit down literally and be like, what kind of things could come up in my cardio history? And you could probably come up with an MI. Mm. Someone's had an MI. Someone's had an aortic dissection. Someone's has uh, angina. Someone has a PE. Yeah. You could pulmonary edema from heart failure whatever mm. yeah so what I do is I'd start with that and rather than then and then what I do is I just split it up between two of friends and be like okay if I was being tested on a history of aortic dissection what would be the classic history and it would be seven out of ten central chest pain radiating to the back past medical history of angina lots of vascular risk factors like diabetes smoking and yeah things like that Mm-hmm. You could probably write down three or four key bullet points. MI would be very similar, except it would be pain here, central radiating to the kind of left arm to the jaw. Once you've done that, then you can kind of, you've done your cases, you've kind of gone through what questions you might get asked and how you'd answer them. You could think about possible differentials. So for example, if it was your P, if it was your P chest pain, the differential would always be a PE, it would always be MI. They don't have to fit the thing straight away, do you understand? But yeah. you know, this is my classic PE history a patient who has calf swelling, a patient who's been on long haul flight, who's got shortness of breath, pain. And then you can kind of go back and make your history. So when you're thinking, how do I take a cardio history? You can be like, okay, so these are the questions I've got to ask because that tells me this is a PE. So one thing I always have in my history is I I use eight step approach, which the retrospective approach is kind of going backwards. Think of your cases first and then make your examination routine or then make your cardio history notes or your outline. Because then it all makes sense rather than learning steps of a routine or learning questions to ask by not being like, wait, what does that actually signify if a patient says I've got this symptom? So, for example, the way I do a history is I always say you do your initiate the session, step one. Step two, screen for all the symptoms of chest pain, shortness of breath, whatever. Step three, get your information, something like Socrates, etc. Then step four, step five is risk factors. So this is where basically you have a specific section where for a cardio history, you'd say, I'm going to ask you a few questions now, if that's okay. And you'd ask three questions in a row, which would be MI questions. So they'd be any nausea, any sweating, any central chest pain radiating to the jaw. And if someone says two or three yeses out of that, you're like, this is probably an MI. Mm. And that's all you're focusing on to be like, I've got an MI. For PE, you'd be like, any recent surgery, because that's a risk factor, any long distance travel recently, any calf swelling, any previous clots in the leg. And when you do that, that is the only bit of the history where you're like, okay, you're literally being like, okay, if they're saying yes to that, that's a PE history. That's an MI history. Um, Infective endocarditis, any dental work. So let's just say they say yes, you have your top differential there. Your other differentials, just because they've said no to the MI questions, chest pain could always be an MI. That's why we have our bloods, our ECG, uh, all the other tests. That's how I tackle trying to get differentials. Go backwards then you know these are my questions for my top four differentials say at the end of all of that they say no to all of them and say you know what it's something that you haven't prepped it happens yeah fine you can say look so i'm not sure what my top differential would be but things that i'd want to consider would be things like a pe um 
because he does have the classic symptoms, but surprisingly she didn't have, or he or she didn't have any current use of the oral contraceptive pill, which is a known risk factor or any long distance travel. Other things I want to include, exclude would be a myocardial infarction because they did have a history of diabetes and smoking and that would raise my suspicion. So you're not saying this is my top differential. You don't have to go with one thing. Remember yeah, that. yeah, I like that because it's like really broad as well. And asking those specific questions is kind of a flex of exam. Like, look, I'm thinking of an MI. So can you please yeah. give me that mark? Because yeah. I'm thinking exactly. like in different systems as well. Because um, you could get GI like chest pain as well. And you can think of differentials like mm-hmm. they could, it could radiate or whatever. So, yeah, I think that's really good. Really exactly. insightful. Yeah. So if you if you are if you've got GI history, your liver questions would be like, have you noticed any change in the color of your stools? Mm. Because that would change. Any change in the color of your urine? Any I don't, I don't know whatever hepatitis questions or things like that. This makes you look like an absolute genius. Yeah, it I'm does. Telling you because yeah, when you're like, oh my god, this guy. Because while he's getting this information, he's banging out these questions. But actually, you just these are my cardio questions I ask for the four top differentials. These are my rest ones. These are my GI ones. And it's like, the rest of the history almost sorts itself out. Anyone can kind of take, can you screen anything else apart from chest pain? Have you noticed anything else? Anyone yeah. can kind of go through Socrates. But like I said, every student struggles with that, which is why I said, you know what? I need to just find a really easy way. And that's what me and my mates did. We basically picked four or five common cases. And we're like, what are the top three questions where I would know without thinking okay this is a PE this has got to be a PE that makes so yeah. much sense and my and yeah sorry what, and like you said even if you get no the examiner's like okay I know what you're talking about he's not just asking some random yeah like at least you asked it like at least you, yeah. it shows that you've been thinking about it and you didn't get the response that you get but then you just move on to your next set of questions and the thing is I mean from what you're saying it's sort of in the preparation phase you have those cases in mind right that's what you're saying isn't it and you have the questions but when it comes to the actual station then as they tell you more about the history, you kind of come up with these are the kind of questions that I'm thinking of that I can ask to rule out the differentials. And I do them towards the end of the history taking. Is that the kind of approach you're? So say you know you're going to get a cardio history by looking at the brief outside, because it will say like yeah. Mr. Smith, a 77 year old smoker of 30 years has come in with sudden onset chest pain. That's cardio. Mm-hmm. It could be a bit of rest, but cardio and PE kind of overlap, things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, these are the eight steps I take for any history start the session step one initiate the session um this is called like the calgary cambridge model is that what you guys get taught have you heard of that it's, it's nothing not. fancy yeah, it's just like literally eight steps i'll just say it right now in like 30 seconds start mm. the session introduce yourself check you got the correct patient step two screen so if they've got chest pain i know you've come with some chest pain have you noticed anything else kind of divide it into the two or three big symptoms because then you can be like okay i've got three i actually need to be a bit quick here okay he's only saying chest pain i'm sure things will come up but i can really focus on this then you do your kind of really gathering information step three so that's where you focus on the symptom chest pain so with pain symptoms you just go through and with anything you start with an open question tell me about your chest pain listen to them they give the story and then focus questions to socrates uh, for things like shortness of breath there's a mnemonic called one resps which is really good um we can talk about that later step four summarize because you've got all that information be like okay so just to summarize you've got this seven day history of chest pain and you also had some palpitations Step five is where I talk about the risk factors. So risk yeah. factors like MI questions, uh, PE questions, infective endocarditis questions, the vascular risk factors, things like diabetes, blood pressure. You need to know for cardio history, does this person yeah. smoke? Because then you've got almost all the history and now you're just like banging out all these kind of like key marks. Specific questions, yeah. And then finish off the history with system review. So that's like a 
final kind of sweep, cardio systems review, chest pain, palpitations. That's more of a general, just general body system question. And then obviously throughout you're doing your eyes and then your background history. So those are the eight steps. Mm. Um, but I think that step five, which is risk factors, completely changed the approach that me and my mates kind of understood history taking. Because honestly, there must be some smart med students if they can take all that information, ask the question and then formulate four differentials and yeah. like do that while taking a history. I think that's genius. I think I'm going to use that because like I can't come up with stuff afresh from my head on the spot in the moment. That's I think that's turning out to be too hard for me. And also, I, th- I came yeah. across somebody actually who told me how in your history, the, you're, you should be spending the majority of your time inquiring about the actual complaint as opposed to history questions, like as in past medical history, family history, all these things, that it should be more about the actual symptom they've come in with and tailoring those questions. Do you, do you, would you agree with that, Aaron, that that's the kind of... Yeah, yeah. I think at the end of the day, your examiner and your patient and yourself as well, they want to see you have a structure to your history. So if you have a structure you use, that will come across. And if you do the same structure all the time, that will come across just because you get to background questions within four minutes. It's like, whoa, like, how are you going to supposed to come up with differentials and back those differentials up by doing very minimal history? The other thing that I like about this whole like retrospective approach is when they then ask you a few questions, which is like, okay, what's your top differential? You can say PE because she said yes to all the PE questions. But I also want to think about these ones, which said no to, but, you know, they're still chest pain things. You can also, you know, when I told you to prep those kind of cases, mm. prep a little viva for each of them. Literally, for your, if you're doing pulmonary edema, then say, okay, what are the risk factors of pulmonary edema? What are the complications of pulmonary edema? So that you know, for this kind of case, this is my kind of viva. I've already thought about it before. So you're not having to suddenly go to all your MCQ knowledge in the middle of a viva and be like, uh, what's the complication? Yeah. You already have them kind of listed out in your head. It's like you're planning out the exam with your friends, kind of coming up with the questions without having to worry about it. Like, yeah, because you know what the questions are going to be. Yeah. You honestly know. They can't ask you 10 million things about MI. They're going to ask you the same kind of things for every single case. Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing we'll quickly touch upon is uh, when you have patients with sort of the exploding history. So, you know, when they tell you a whole wealth of information, I feel like that maybe happened more in actual clinical practice, like I'm doing GP right now, where a patient tells me about five different presenting complaints. And that makes my yeah. head spin. But I guess in an OSCE, can you have situations like that? Or You can. Just remember, even in real life, but also in an OSCE, there's a reason for everything. So if a patient's giving you lots of vague, random, hist- like random symptoms that don't seem to come in with a chest or don't seem to come in with like the, the abdomen, then there's a reason for, especially in your OSCE, why would they give you random symptoms? And there are a few kind of things that, I talk about which is like there are some kind of systems that are literally made for this so things like thyroid is a great example where they'll be like I'm feeling really hot uh, <laughs> my periods have suddenly got really heavy like these are random symptoms yeah and there you've got to think like what is this what is what is this person trying to tell me and that's where you have your thyroid history so you ask your thyroid questions mm. um, especially in OSCE if there's lots of like symptoms just try and break them down but do the same thing but if mm. you know there's four or five symptoms you still do the same thing you still initiate the session screen so they give you four things then you you do tackle them individually but they'll probably be, won't be much they'll probably be like no that's it for my pain okay let's move on to this tell me about mm-hmm. that no nothing else so they will help you but you're still going to have the same approach there's no point cutting corners and being like okay i'm not going to ask you about those two because i don't think they're that relevant the patient has to tell you what's really important to them so they might say five things but two of them actually have lots of information three of them are literally just yeah that's it by the way nothing else yeah Um, yeah so still do the same thing 
each symptom, open question, let them tell you the information. Are there any closed questions? No. Okay, move on to the next symptom. Yeah. And I think also like just from being on the wards and stuff like um, like kind of backtracking as well. It's like, OK, so now I'm just going to talk about this symptom and we're going to talk about the rest later. Is that OK? Just to let them know yeah. that you haven't forgotten almost. And they exactly. kind I don't of, know if you guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically. Have you heard of signposting? Oh, yeah. Signposting. That's what it's called. Exactly. Yeah. Not backtracking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, exactly. That's the same thing to be like. Okay, I need to bring you back to my history. So I'm going to tell you and the examiner. Now I'm going to talk about your chest pain. Yeah. And that's exactly what you do. Bring yeah. the conversation back to what you want to talk about. Okay, fantastic. So I think let's chat a bit about physical examinations then. I think there's a few questions that come across quite often in terms of how you present and how you carry yeah. out the examination. They, they talk about how you should involve the patient. But then yeah. how much do you communicate with the examiner? How do you present your findings? Do you do it as you go along? Do you do it towards the end? What's your approach towards that? I've always been told different things, but mm. the majority of people that I speak to, because these people who taught me kind of when I was 40, I was taught by final years, et cetera. I do present a little bit along the way. And you're absolutely right. It's about balancing what you say out aloud, but also acknowledging there's a patient there. So I will say, my, my, my primary kind of speech, what I'm saying, is directed at the patient. Okay. So I will say, okay, so the first thing I want to do is look at your hands. So if you put your hands out like this, and then when I'm looking at their hands, I'll say, so looking at the hands, I can't see any da 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 which is clearly directed at, the, at my examiner. And also at myself, to be like, okay, what am I doing now? This is how I'm going to go about it, rather than like just staring and being like, okay, fine. And then, okay, so if you don't mind turning your hands over, you can't not talk to the patient. That, is, that has to happen. Sometimes you might get an examiner. I've never had this. Who's like, okay, you don't have to do that. In which case, fine. Just say, okay, if you don't mind turning your hands, okay, fine. And turn them back this way. If mm -hmm. they don't want you to go into all the medical spiel. But I've always found that like, I like it when I do both because that's just how I've always prepared. It helps me. The examiner can hear what I'm saying. It sometimes feels a bit artificial, but like, yeah. I think it's really important that you do what makes you comfortable, but don't ignore the patient. Absolutely. Don't ever like turn to the examiner. What you're saying should still be while you're focusing on the patient. Your examiner is there to hear you, watch you. You don't have to like show the examiner what you're doing um, mm -hmm. and take that away from the patient. I think also just obviously, because everyone's been told different things, especially with us as well. Like wherever you go, doctors are like, no, you shouldn't do this. You should do this. But ultimately check with your medical school or wherever you're learning um, in your healthcare setting, because that's what they're the people who are going to test you so even if other people who are not teaching at the medical school say something that's just something to pick like look at your learning objectives or whatever they've gone through because sometimes different people might want different things but yeah that's a really good idea just balancing both I think and the patient is always at the center of everything so in terms of presenting what what is what is the best structure that you think helps you and doesn't like you don't fluster when you say it so with presentation, have one format that you use all the time, whatever that is. The way I, I did it, I always had the same thing. I'd be like, huh. So I had to play an introduction sentence, which is if I have this information, you don't always have the patient's name, age, occupation. You don't always have that. So but I have a little bit of an introduction. So I performed a cardiovascular examination on Mr. Smith, a middle-aged gentleman who, whatever, if you know, he's coming with some chest pain. Then let's talk about examinations, first of all, okay? So then I go, my main positive findings are, and I always go in the order that I did my examination because mm. that seems to make sense to me. I know it's very easy to be like, but that's a sign there. But then if that's my only sign, 
then that will be the first thing I do because it's my main positive findings. Okay. Then I do my relevant negative findings are one, two, three. And this is what I think is really important. So for my cardio examination stations, I have the same relevant negatives every single time because they are always relevant. A really simple thing that someone told me is, okay, remember, an OSCE is a test that you're a doctor. Remember that. So don't miss out really obvious things. In a respiratory history, you will never get a patient in your OSCE requiring oxygen. But when you go to the respiratory ward, most of them are on five, seven, 15 litres of oxygen. Yeah. To say that, honestly, say that my relevant negative findings are that reassuringly, this patient is currently not requiring oxygen. That mm. tells you so much information straight away that you already know this. You're not going to get an acute ML patient, but it tells you that this patient with pulmonary fibrosis, say, isn't having an exacerbation on top of that because they're not requiring oxygen. Yeah. It's something so obvious. But if you know I've got to say that, then something like, okay, they're actually thinking like a doctor because that's what you want to tell your registrar who hasn't seen the patient because they've been busy in ITU when you present it over the phone. So I have the same things, yeah. You're kind of taking something that could be serious and telling them that actually it's fine. And I was thinking about that. Is that basically what you're getting? Exactly, yeah. But no one would ever tell you, as a medical student, it's like, obviously they're not going to have oxygen. I mean, an OSCE, right? But like, that's actually really crucial information. Yeah. like... Like, how do I not say that? It's so obvious. Do you um, find that you say, like, similar things? Because I feel like I'm trying to find ways to kind of, like, because I'm worried that I'm going to get a mind blank and I'll forget, like, the basics. But um, do you find that you say the same rel- rel- relevant, sorry, the same relevant negatives for cardio arrest, GI? Can you kind of group them together, like, as the most yeah. significant exactly, findings? Yeah. So I literally go through this on my channel, but basically I say that, like, for my aortic stenosis, mitral regurg, or let's just talk respiratory because we talked about that. For COPD, mm. for bronchiectasis, for pulmonary fibrosis, for a lobectomy, pneumonectomy, pretty much I have five things that would be relevant negatives. Sure. And I say all five, they're not there. Sometimes some of them are there. So for example, for a COPD patient, I say reassuring this patient is currently not requiring oxygen. There's no evidence of chronic uh, smoking use, such as tar staining. Reassuring there's no kind of lobectomy or pneumonectomy scars, just previous kind of lung surgery. Mm-hmm. Because this patient probably does have a wheeze. This pr- mm. person probably does have a uh, purslip breathing or prolonged expiratory phase. So yeah. I've just taken out those two. I've been like, I don't need to say that because this is a COPD patient. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say those three. And even like in a GI where it could be a liver patient, it could be kind of like a few different systems, if you want to call it. Mm. Your examiner's not going to be like, well, is that a relevant negative? They're going to be like, well, this, this person's like coming out with some good info. Like, you know, like yeah. they're not going to pick up on every single word but they're going to pick up on a slick presentation. Yeah. And then what you're going to say is, so like I said, the introduction, your positive findings, relevant negatives. And then, so putting all of this together, my top differential would be this. You don't have to say aortic stenosis. Be like, putting all of this together, I think this is most likely a systolic murmur. I think this is either aortic stenosis or mitral regurg. You've literally split them up into the two systolic murmurs, but you've yeah. given a good presentation and you've been yeah. confident. Like I'd rather, anyone would rather someone who's confident. Like I said, you've got echoes. To confirm if you've got aortic stenosis or mitral regurg, not just a stethoscope. Yeah, exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, I feel like I feel like yeah, I can go and do a bash out an oski now because I know what to do, and I think we just need to practice it as well. So exactly, yeah. You, you don't need fantastic. to be that slick at picking up signs to do well in oski. You yeah. need to be well rehearsed, and you need to have a structure. Mm. That's mm. it. So okay, my final question is: when you have a mind blank, when you're literally like, oh my gosh. I am literally so overwhelmed. I don't know what's going on. Um, this can be in any situation, Oski. What do you do to like 
get back on it, but get back on track and like calm yourself down? First of all, it happens to every single person, however much you prepare. It's basically just try and go back to something that you know you, you can, you're familiar with. So if, for example, if you're asking questions, if it happens when you're asking questions, yeah, and you have a mind where you're like, wait, what, what, what like, what's where going on? <laughs> like, like yeah, am, yeah. I on the, am I on the presenting complaint or what's going on? Yeah. Then you just got to like literally take your time, pause and like, like say backtrack and think, okay, what is the next part of my history? And that only comes from having some sort of structure. I only think yeah. if you have it laid out, then you know, okay, so I think I definitely did that bit. Okay, I might have not finished that bit, but let me just go back to step three, go on mm-hmm. to step three, because the main thing in those moments is just to start talking. You want to stay, say something that's not stupid. Or, you know what? There's no harm in being like, sorry, can you just repeat that for me again? Like, literally, yeah. buy yourself some time. <laughs> buy yourself some time. Like, can you just repeat that for me again? Like, yeah. Okay, yeah, we're talking about that. That was it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, fine. Sit in silence. Yeah. If you say stuff like, oh, can I just have a moment to think? Is that bad in an exam? Because we had a Mokoski last week. And I, that, I said that in my history taking, and it was a heart failure patient. And I was just trying to like, I was a bit like dazed. Is that like, does that show that you're, I might be asking a silly question. Does it, does it show no. that you're not with it? Paying attention. Yeah. No, or... I think I think it's completely fine. I think whatever whatever you say will feel like 10 times longer, that silence or that awkwardness for you than it feels for anyone else, your examiner or your patient. True. So whatever you want to say. For me, I always had this thing. I was like, uh, what did you, can you just repeat what you said to me? I just missed mm. that. Or something like that. Because yeah. they talk, um, mm. and I felt like silence would make me not be able to think. Yeah, because like, it's too I, quiet. Because it's like it's and like, it's like, like everything's loud in your head, and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas okay. if, if they actually say something, it usually rejigs you. But if they're like, yeah, I was just saying about um how the pain, yeah, it seems to like move a bit, like it's in my chest, but sometimes it's my back. Then you're like, okay, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So let's just hope that the patient um, helps us all out in our skis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's completely normal to have mind blanks. Okay. But the only way to kind of try and minimize that is, like I said, I've structure because you, it's so hard to just do this under pressure. Like it's actually yeah. so hard for yeah. eight minutes or whatever it is. You've got really tight time. And then suddenly you've got this patient who's like, oh, by the way, I've also got palpitation. <laughs> like, is that supposed to throw me off? Or is that like, is that, is that like, what is that? Okay, fine. I don't really mind. You can ask a few questions. So I know from my risk factors that you're having an MI mm. or, or whatever it is. It's almost pushing me to just go now and start practicing. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> really, that's that's really, that's or just grab common. my friends and be like, yo, let's, let's all make the credentials. Let's all do it. I'm too hungry right now, but I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> I hope it helped because like, sure. it like changed, changed the game for me and my mates. And, like, um, yeah. and it's not Why? even anything, it's not even anything like, like groundbreaking. It's something mm. that, all medical students should be taught before they start like revising for exams because it's like actually that makes the process so much easier I don't have to think on the on my feet in the eight minute station Mm. I can just kind of plan things and despite all of this let me say this despite all of this you will still have bad stations please remember that you will Mm. still have bad stations and that is completely fine Mm. yeah Mm. this is not a a foolproof method to be like I'm going to bang out every stage I'm going to get 100% because if you go in with that approach then you just get flustered and get upset and then what you do know won't kind of come to you on the day so please just think this is a an approach that will hopefully mean that you're doing less thinking on the day mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do like no thinking and you're going to be absolutely fine prepare to have bad stations please yeah, I think it's really reassuring as well so that's fantastic definitely that's definitely. right Okay, uh, so I think that brings us to the end. Uh, We've just got some recommendations that we wanted to make. Of course, we'll provide a link to your YouTube channel, Aaron, 
uh, at the end of the episode. Um, but did you have any particular resources that, that you wanted to share with students, whether it's a book or any other video, anything you want? I've got probably one book that I think is really, really good. It's called Cases for Paces. And you can always say from the name that it's not really made for medical students, but I think it should be made for medical students. It basically has what I told you, which is like case of, a case-based approach to OSCEs. So it'll be like cardio examination station, aortic stenosis, mitral regurg, heart failure. And this is kind of the thing that made us go, you know what, maybe we should just study like this mm. rather than just like do what everyone else is doing. And then, yeah, I, if it's okay, I'll plug my YouTube channel. Of course. I've got a video there. I've got a video there where it literally summarizes this thing in like eight minutes. If you want mm -hmm. a bit more detail, where it goes through those eight steps and what the risk factor questions are for your respiratory history, what the risk factor questions are for your cardiology history. Mm -hmm. And hopefully people have messaged me being like, whoa, this is like made me like so much better. So hopefully some of you listening find it beneficial. But yeah, mm -hmm. Case for Paces is a really good book. It's like, a, it's not even a big book, it's a little blue book. It's got no diagrams or anything like that. It's literally just bullet points information. I think because uh, my, my whole family's medics as well, they've got all these books at home. And I think my brother okay. kept recommending cases for paces, but I never paid attention. Yeah. So I, didn't <laughs> okay. I love how when Aaron says it, you're like, right, oh, now, now I'm going to get a report, brother. But yeah, I think also it's good how you expanded on what you've spoken about in your videos as well. Because I watched that video where you took, you know, you went through those steps and it's nice that you elaborated yeah. on that bit and get more clarity. Exactly. Share the video because Aaron's got a lot of informative um, stuff as well. Definitely. Um, <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, thank you so much, Aaron, once again for joining us today. We're so, so happy that we had you on board and it's going to be so helpful to all other students, I'm sure, who are listening. Uh, a big thank you to all of you listening at home too. So bye for now. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode. And if you've got any thoughts on this episode or ideas for future discussion, please email the hippocampuspodcast at gmail.com. Bye.